0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Dennis and I are preaching through uh, basically the book Principles of Spiritual Growth by Miles Stanford. book was given to me 25 years ago. It's the only book that I've ever read more than once I think in my entire life and I've read it pretty much every year and sometimes two or three times a year for the last 25 years. And one of the things I I began to realize about a year ago is that this, this book, Principles of Spiritual Growth, is basically a primer for how we all grow as Christians. This is not like some people grow this way and some people grow this way, but, but it was re- it's really a, uh, like it describes the process that every Christian goes through in growing from infancy when they first come to Christ to maturity when they begin to really look and act and, and function from, a, from an indwelling union with Christ like Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so pe- people start out here and they end up here, and the goal, of course, is to is to be like Jesus, look like Jesus. But that's, but that really happens as we understand and begin to experience our union with the indwelling Christ. And so, um, so Miles Stanford, uh, you know, ba- basically walks us out over eighteen chapters. Well, we're this is chapter fifteen of the eighteen, and. Uh, when, I, when I basically introduced this to the elders last fall and said, Hey, I'd like to do, Dennis and me, to do this series, uh, 18, 18 weeks is a long series. And we've never done a series that long. But I said, This series is important enough to me to take the 18 weeks to do it. And so here we are uh, towards, the, you know, this is number chapter 15, I think, of the 18. And um, it's, the, it's the chapter called Rest. And so the, name, the title of the message this morning is Rest. And so let me just explain, you know, where we are here. So there, at some point in our lives, we either do or we should become aware that we need a Savior, that our lives aren't working, that sin is kind of the dominant factor in our lives, and, and we can't seem to, you know, sin is not as fun as it used to be, and we're beginning to see the repercussions of living outside of the will of God and we begin to discover there is a God and that he has some things to say to us and he wants to love us and live in our lives and be a part of our lives. And so we, we uh, hopefully all of you have done that. If you've not done that, if you've not connected with God through Christ, if you've not come to that place of salvation where you know that you know that you know that if you, if you were to die, you would be with Jesus in heaven, uh, that, that is possible. That is, that is uh, in fact, if you come to the membership class today, I'll describe for you how that works. But, um, but, but we come to that place where we say, I need a Savior. I am not okay, and I can't make myself okay. I mean, a lot of people try to be good, and they try to jump through a bunch of religious hoops and all this, and they realize, I still feel guilty. I still don't feel like my sins are forgiven. And we come to that place where we accept Jesus. And then it's salvation by faith. We put our faith in Christ. We invite Him into our hearts, and He comes in. He fills us with our, He gives us His Holy Spirit, and we begin to uh, have victory over sins that used to to dominate our lives. And for for a short time, there's usually a honeymoon period where it's like uh, MC Hammer. You know, you can't touch this. You know, uh, uh, some of you are not old enough to remember MC Hammer, but anyway, one of the first rappers, I think, Um, and, and. after Wrigley's Spearmint Gum wrapper, anyway. But um, we feel like we're Teflon when it comes to temptation, you know. And, and then, you know, that, you know, that honeymoon period wears off, and suddenly we, we, we meet that nemesis temptation, that sin that has dominated our lives. And each one of us have, a uh, they, the, old, the old-timers used to call that besetting sin, those sins that beset us, those sins that we, you know, for me, I've never struggled with alcohol. But I've struggled with other things that I just couldn't get, get, get past. And so, and so we de- each deal with our, own, with our own nemesis when it comes to temptation and sin. And we begin to run into that again. And so what we realize as new believers is that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, cross has cleansed me, has cleansed you and me from sins, from acts of sin. And so we can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, please forgive me. And he does. And that's wonderful. But about, you know, the fifth time that happens that day over the same thing, you begin to wonder, is, is there more than just forgiveness in this, this whole thing? I mean, if, if God could make provision for me to be forgiven of my sins, could he make provision for my guilt and, and the penalty of sin? Could he make provision for my, my uh, freedom from the bondage and slavery to sin? Because that's really my problem. It's like I shared a few weeks ago the dandelion. The, dandelion, the problem's not with the flowers and, and, and with the seeds that get produced. The problem is there's a root that keeps producing those flowers. So if I get out there with my lawnmower and I mow over that, that uh, dandelion plant, two days later it grows back twice as good because I just pruned it, you know? And there was two flowers, now there's four, you know? And so what we have to do is deal with the root. And the root of the problem in our lives is, is, is the root of sin, and so we, we, you know, one of the things that Dennis, Dennis and I have been hammering away at is that, that as God brings us along this journey of spiritual growth, he moves us from just accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior because of what he did for us on the cross, dying for us on the cross, we begin to realize what Romans 6 unpacks, and that is we died with Christ on the cross. He didn't just die for us, we died with him. He said, wait a minute, he died 2,000 years ago. How is that possible? When we come to Christ, the bloodline of Adam is cut off and we are are transported into the bloodline of the last Adam, Jesus. And so we're no, no longer in that sinful bloodline of the old Adam. We are now in the new bloodline of the new Adam. And retrospectively, retroactively, we are put into Jesus and we died with him on the cross. When he died on the cross... He was looking at you. He was taking your sins, but he was also taking you into himself and putting you on the cross with himself. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus did all the heavy lifting, all the suffering, and you get all the benefits? That's how God designed this. He took your pain, your sin, your guilt, your your death, and died it for you. The perfect son of God who lived perfectly and in perfect obedience to his father has taken care of this. And so the guilt and penalty of, uh, of, of sin has been dealt with and freedom from the bondage and slavery of sin has been dealt with in that you and I died with Christ. And we're gonna talk about how we appropriate that to our lives. But you know, the question comes then, okay, Neil, is there, okay, thank you for assuring me that the penalty, the guilt and penalty of sin has been taken care of by the blood and the the power and bondage of sin, the slavery of sin, has been taken care of by the cross. The blood deals with the guilt, the cross deals with the old man, the old Adam, the old self. But is there more to this Christian life than just living in victory over sin? I mean, that's the the negative side of things. When I say negative, I don't mean like bad side. It's like the negative, it's like when you... When you're tested for cancer, you want to get a negative result, right? <laughs> okay, so what I'm saying is the, the, the cancer of sin, we get a negative result there. You, know, it's, you no longer have to live according to sin. You no longer have to live with that, that bondage, that, that guilt, that, that uh, slavery. So <laughs> what is the end goal then? Uh, if it's not just victory over sin, what's the end goal of this life in Christ? What's the end goal of, 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 of living this Christian life? How many of you have heard of Simon Sinek? Anybody? He's not really a cynic. He's a, okay, so one person. He, I mean, he is, but he's not. He's, he's a really good guy that um, he, he talks about answering the why question. Like a lot of people, uh, like a lot of companies know what they do, and how they do it, but they, do, they, they are very bad in communicating why. And people will buy your product, will use your service, if you, give, if you answer the question, why do you need this? So here's an example. Back when AT&T was first a company, it used to be, uh, like I remember living in the south, it was um, Southern Bell was the name of the company, it was a part of AT&T. When, when AT&T first started out, it basically was selling telephones. And they would run wires for the telephone service into a neighborhood, and then they would go door-to-door, representatives, and they would say, hey, we, we just ran a telephone wire into your neighborhood. We have, uh, we have phones in the, uh, in the truck. And they were all the same. They were all black. They had a, you know, they had a rotary dial and a, you know, and, and they would say, would you like us to install a phone in your home? And you could say yes or no. And, and so uh, for a while, AT&T was in the uh, selling telephone business. And they, they did that for a while, and one day they woke up to the fact that, you know what, our why is not to sell telephones. Our why is we want to be, we want to facilitate communication. That's why we exist to facilitate communication. That's why they they do internet. That's why they do you know like direct TV. They're in the entertainment business. They're in the, the internet business. They're in the tele, cell phone business. I don't know if they even do land phones anymore. I'm sure they do, but uh, we still have a land phone in our office here at the church. But but that that's their why. And so the question this morning is why would I want to live the Christian life? Why would I want to be a Christian if? If it's just victory over sin, that's not a real motivation for me. Although it is some motivation. I don't like to say, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, one of the first things that happens is their attitude towards sin changes drastically. When our spirit and the Holy Spirit connect, there is something inside of us that begins to be grieved over sin. When we give in to a temptation, we sin, we're grieved by that. There's something in us that that says, yuck, yuck. No longer, let's party, but, but it, let's get rid of this. You know, that's the attitude. So what's the why, the answer to the why question for this Christian life? We don't want to just have victory over sin. We want so much more. Jesus said, I came, not that you might have victory over sin, but you might have life and have it to the full. We call that abundant life. So we want abundant life. I want everything that Jesus has for me. I want this life to be everything that Jesus meant it to be. We want joy. And we want joy not just in being happy all the time. We want joy in bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, right? We want our lives to count for something. We want to finish well. And we want to leave a legacy. Man, I... You know, I've done so many funerals in the 33 years I've been a pastor. And I've done some funerals where people were, there were, I remember uh, George Elam Jr.'s uh, uh, funeral that we did here. That, that young man had only been a Christian for about four years when he died uh, in a four-wheeler accident. He was in his early 30s. This place was packed with people that had been impacted by Scrap, is what they called him. Scrap's life. Jesus calling. Um, anyway, so, so, I mean, this place, I mean, wall-to-wall people. And, uh, and, and you know, I talked to people that had been touched and impacted by George's life, Scrap's life. Man, that, he finished well. Even though he finished at, like, 33, he's still... He still lived well. But I've done funerals for people where I couldn't even get the family to talk to me about the person. I remember when I was, uh, I had been a jail chaplain at the Clark County Jail, and it was my first couple of years here at the church. I was still associate pastor, and this deputy's father died. And, and she called me and said, uh, Neil, would you do uh, my dad's funeral? She said, well, what I actually want you to do is just show up at the graveside Say a prayer, make it as quick as possible, because we just want to put the ashes where they go and go home. And so I showed up at the, at the, at the cemetery. There was the deputy, her boyfriend, her daughter, and her mom. That was it. That was, there were four people and me at the funeral. And they're like, Look, can we just get this over with? I said, well, I was going to read some scripture. No, don't read scripture. Just pray and let's get this over with. That, I mean, that was the impact that this man. had. There was no one else there. No one else wanted to be there. The family didn't even want to be there. Guys, I, I'm telling you, when I pass, I, I, wanna, I want I want there to be about 500 people at my funeral whose lives that I impacted in some positive way. Don't you? You see what I'm saying? Okay, a thousand. No, anyway. <laughs> yeah, <we'll show> up. <laughs> So how does that happen, guys? How, how does that happen? I'll tell you how it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by getting a WWJD, what would Jesus do, bracelet, strapping it on and setting out to just try hard to be super Christian. I'm going to be like Jesus if it kills me. Well, if you take that approach, it will kill you and you won't have very, very many people at your funeral. So how does this work? Well, Dennis and I have been talking a lot lately about dying to self. And again, that's the negative side of things. Dying to self, uh, you know, our our text has been the same the last two weeks as we've talked about discipleship. It's Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. A cross is is an, an instrument of execution. And so what Jesus is saying is basically you have to die to yourself and that was that was done 2000 years ago when we died with Jesus on the cross but that has to be appropriated in our lives by embracing the truth and saying that truth is for me when Jesus said or when Paul said Uh, don't you know you died with Christ, you were buried with Him, and you were raised with Him to live a new life in the Spirit. Therefore, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves, count yourselves dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. That is a biblical, scriptural truth and fact. And we need to base our lives on that regardless of the fact that we just blew it and sinned. We have to basically believe the truth of the Word over our own experience until the Holy Spirit makes it that our experience does that make sense no it doesn't but that's how it works it doesn't make sense I just sinned and yet I still am supposed to count myself dead to sin that doesn't make sense to the human brain but God's word trumps our experience it just does and so we have to believe God over against our own experience until the Holy Spirit makes that our experience that's how this works guys that's really what the sermon's about today So I want to read for you uh, Hebrews four, and I want to set this up. The people of Israel talked about in chapter three of Hebrews were in bondage to slavery in Egypt, which is a a symbol and an allegory, and I mean it's real. They they actually, the people of Israel were actually enslaved in Egypt to Pharaoh for like four hundred years which represents life before Christ. They were in bondage to Pharaoh, who represents Satan, and slavery to the Egyptians, which represents sin. So sin and Satan dominated the lives of of the Israelites. And then God sent a savior, Moses. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to save my people and set them free from Pharaoh and slavery which he did in the power of God. He brought them through the Red Sea, which represents um, baptism. And then the enemies that tried to pursue them through the, the uh, <coughs> a dead, a Red Sea uh, were destroyed. They were drowned, which represents victory over sin. I had this tickle in my throat this morning. Excuse me. Normally, it's a frog. Today, it's this thing that's itching down there. Maybe the frog has poison ivy. I don't know. (laughs) So, so, you know, uh, Moses successfully brings them through in the power of God through the Red Sea. The Egyptians try to pursue them. The Red Sea collapses on the... They they weren't like Rachel talked about this morning. They were destroyed by the the wave. Uh, And... um, They end up going a seven days journey to the very southern entrance to the promised land where God was taking them, which represents abundant life, life in the spirit, victorious life. But they get to the the southern gate, Cadish Barnea was the name of this uh, area where it's the southernmost part of the the promised land. And Moses sent in 12 spies, and most of us know what happened, Twelve spies go in. They scout out the land. It it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a land flowing with with beautiful produce and these huge grapes and all this stuff. It's a wonderful land. The only problem is that there are giants in the land. they are giants. These these nine-foot Amalekites or whatever, they're huge. And so they come back and they give their report to Moses and the people, and ten of the spies say, there is no way that we are going to be able to defeat these giants. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. Joshua and Caleb on the other hand said, God has given us this land. He promised it to us. The promise of God is that if we'll go in, he will give us the land. These giants will be bread for us. We'll slice through them like a knife through a hot knife through through butter and we will take the land. God will give this to us. And the people of Israel said, oh, woe is us. Why has God brought us into this desert to kill us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? But that is faith in God, right? That is faith in a faithful God, right? (laughs) No, they, they, they did not believe that God, first of all, they didn't believe in the goodness of God. That's something that we've got to nail down, folks. We've got to understand that God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. He is for us. He has good things for us. All He wants to do is bring us into a place of freedom and abundance and, 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 and just our lives overflowing with fruit, delicious, awesome, abundant fruit uh, of, of the Spirit and of winning people to Christ and, and just living a life that, that is effective and impactful like I talked about earlier. And so the people of Israel, because of their unbelief, their disbelief, their unbelief, their lack of trust in God, and their disobedience, died in the desert, in the wilderness. Forty years they traveled through this wilderness, round and round and round Mount Sinai. And they all, everyone that was 21 years and older in that group, died in the wilderness. And their children, that were 20 years and younger, entered into the land of promise now, um, as we pick up in Hebrews 4, our text for this morning, it says, "Therefore, we, Do we have that? Yeah, there we go. Therefore, and I'm not going to read every single word that's up there. Just hang with me. Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So the land of Canaan represents the rest of God. They were to go in and... and God said, I'm going to give you this land that's already been cultivated, that's already been, been uh, uh, the, you know, all the, 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 the trees have been planted, the fruit trees have been planted. Uh, you know, ev- everything is ready for you. It's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You're just going to go in there and in- inhabit this. I'm going to give your enemies into your hands. You know, they didn't have to lift a finger to defeat Jericho. All they did was walk around the wall Seven times, you know, seven days and then seventh day, seven times and then shout. And then God just dropped the walls of this walled city down and they just went in and took it. And that's how they were supposed to take. It was not a bunch of labor and striving and straining. God was going to give them everything as they just obediently walked forward with him. Does that make sense? And so what what is being talked about in Romans or Hebrews 4 is... Sabbath rest, and that doesn't mean resting on Sunday or Saturday. This means resting in God, letting him do the work in us and through us. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's like, it's not going to be hard to walk with me if you'll just come to me and receive rest. So verse 2, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. Their good news was, I'm giving you this land. Our good news is, come to me and rest. Come to me and receive all I have for you. But the message they heard was of no value to them. God forbid that that be the same for us. It was no value because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Who are we talking about? Moses, Caleb, Joshua. Those were the ones who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Therefore, verse 6, since there still remains for some to enter that rest and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of disobedience. See, unbelief... And not trusting God always leads to disobedience. When you don't trust God and you don't, know, you don't believe Him and His promises, you end up disobeying because you have to be God of your own life. If you can't trust God to take care of you and you can't trust His promises, then you have to run your own show. And that always leads to disobedience. And you'll always be out of God's will if you do that. Therefore, uh, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest. Again, we're not talking about the seventh day or or Sunday or whatever. We're talking about this rest that God gives us in in faith. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also, listen to this, also rest from their WWJD bracelet. I mean, that's honestly the best way I can put it. They rest from their own works, just as God did from His. Therefore, let us make every effort or let us labor to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Labor to enter His rest? That sounds like an oxymoron. It is. It's it's a play on words. Let us make every effort to rest, let's, let's work, let's labor to enter rest. What does that mean? What does that even look like? Why is it being said that way? What does rest look like if it, if it involves laboring? Well, here's what we're laboring for, guys. We're laboring to stop laboring. Seriously. We're working to stop working. <laughs> okay? It looks like allowing Jesus to be our life. It looks like letting his strength be our strength. It looks like letting his source be our source. His, his sufficiency be our sufficiency. It looks like being in union with, with the indwelling Christ as an experiential reality and allowing him to live his powerful, holy, incredible um, Fruit, fruitful life through us it's yielding to him it's being in union and oneness with him to the extent that we stop trying and we led Jesus Lord I can't but you can I can't but you can would you please live your life through me so how do we labor to enter that rest by the way let me just give you a really good prayer to pray Because, honestly, I'm praying this constantly. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, make the indwelling Christ real to me. Make my union with Jesus real to me. And, Lord Jesus, live in and through me. Live your life in and through me, your powerful, holy, amazing, fruitful life through me, in obedience to the Father, in the power of the Spirit. That's a good prayer. That's a good prayer to pray. You live your life through me in obedience to the Father and the power of the Spirit because that's the only way this Christian life works. That is abundant life. And so the wrong way to labor is to strain and strive and try harder and do more and serve more and pray more and read more and, and attend more meetings and, and you know, just, just knock yourself out. You know, nose to the shoulder of the wheel, nose to the grindstone, I'm going to be like Jesus if it kills me. And it will if you approach it that way. And so as we do that, because that's always how we start out, we trying to do that, trying to live that way, we end up failing. And our failure shows us our need. And then it's like, it's like get, someone giving you a car and you push it to the store and you load it up with groceries and you push it home. And one day someone says, hey, did you know if you'll get in the car and turn that key in the ignition, there's gas in the tank, there's power, there's an engine, and you can actually drive that thing around and you don't even have to walk. All you have to do is kind of steer the steering wheel and and push a pedal. It will actually take you where you need to go. It will get you what you need to get and it will bring you home. That's what we get with Jesus. But failure and need, we'll become exhausted in pushing the car, and at some point we'll fall on our faces and say, Okay, teach me how to drive this thing. Teach me how to let this thing do all the work because I'm so exhausted from pushing it. Once again, failure and need leads to giving up on our strength, our flesh, our self life, our self dependence, our control, and we begin to work to to look away from ourselves to Christ. And we just refuse to work for victory, for God's approval, for rewards, and even for rest. We just say, I give up. I can't do it, Lord. You do it. Then the right kind of labor begins. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. What does that look like? What does that effort look like? Well, here it is in a nutshell. Laying hold of God's promises... And by faith, believing and holding on to those promises in faith until the Holy Spirit makes them an experiential reality in our lives. You've probably never heard that before, have you? Five minutes ago you heard that. Lord, I, I feel selfish. I feel, I, I, have, I have sinned this week. I, I feel selfish I've not done anything for anyone outside of myself or or I've not done anything that didn't benefit me personally. I don't feel like I have died to myself. I don't feel like I've denied myself. I don't feel like I'm taking up my cross and doing anything, let alone following you. But I want to. God, I want to live like that. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus. Your word tells me that I died with him. 2,000 years ago on the cross, my old self died with him. But I feel like I'm constantly dealing with that old self. Would you make that real in my life? Would you, you, through your Holy Spirit, bring the, the revelation of truth and transform my mind and transform my heart And use everything in your power, Romans 8.28, everything in my life to conform me to the image of Christ, Romans 8.29. That's what this whole thing's about. God causes all things to work together for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose in order to conform us to the image of Christ. I don't feel holy. I don't feel loving. I don't feel. I feel like I feel selfish. I feel like sinning. I feel like giving in to that hairy temptation that's facing me right now. But your word tells me that I am alive in the spirit. Your word tells me I died with Christ. Would you make that real in my experience? That's laboring to enter his rest. Now I'm going to hold on to your truth. I'm going to hold, even though it looks like things are getting worse rather than better over against my own experience, over against my own desires and and needs and wants and all those things that tend to pull me away from you in the wrong direction, I'm gonna stand on your promises and I'm gonna say, regardless of what happens, I died to sin, I died with Christ, Christ is my life, He lives in me, I'm in union with Him, His Spirit has given me new life and I am going to live my life in the power of the Spirit With Jesus doing it through me, he is my sufficiency. He is my all in all. He is my very life. Jesus, make yourself real to me. Holy Spirit, make this an experiential reality. And Norman Grubb, in the chapter, I would really encourage you to go back and read. This is one of the best chapters in the book, the the chapter on rest. Norman Grubb gives this illustration. He said, "This what we're talking about here is like trying to learn a foreign language. He said, you know, missionaries go to a foreign land to learn a language. And when, when, uh, when they first get to wherever they're going, this language sounds like gibberish to them. They look at the, the symbols of the letters on the page and it looks like Egyptian hieroglyphics. And nothing makes sense. The, 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 it's just you know, a cacophony of sounds and noises and, and gibberish on a page. But we go there to learn the language. And so we study. We labor. We, we, we go there to learn the language. And we don't give up because giving up is, is, uh, is the, kind of the unforgivable sin of, of trying to be a missionary. You don't give up on learning the language. You, you go there to do that. And after months go by and and you're applying yourself diligently to learn this language and you're listening and you're trying to... He said, Norman Grubb says, something almost magical seems to happen. He's like, what you've been pursuing has suddenly found you. What you've been working toward has taken hold of you. And all of a sudden, you begin to understand what you're hearing and those words on the page make sense to you and and he's like that that's how it is with 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 holding on to the promises of God and not understanding how this works and and trying to apply you know or or pro, not apply but appropriate the truth of God's word to your own life you keep standing on that you keep claiming that you keep saying i died with christ i died to sin he is my life and and like learning that language when suddenly the penny drops and all of a sudden those sounds make sense. Those words have meaning. You can read it on the page and you've learned the language. It's like it's, it's almost... Um, Bill Johnson talks about the suddenlies of the kingdom of God. He said there's a lot of process in, in, in the kingdom. But then God brings those suddenlies. When all of a sudden, we get it. The penny drops. The revelation takes hold. Our mind is transformed in that particular area. And suddenly, what we didn't understand makes sense. What we weren't experiencing, we begin to experience. The great missionary, J. Hudson Taylor, who was the first missionary to take the gospel to inland China went through this process. He went through a process of dying. He, he established himself on the mission field, was a very committed Christian, was there for a couple of years and, and began to run into his flesh on a daily basis. And he, he was just bemoaning the fact that he said, I, I didn't know, know what, what an evil heart I had until I started really trying to live this life among these people. And the the, uh, the the humidity here is horrible, and I'm working with people that we don't always get along, and, and trying to learn the language, and try you know. And he's a, he's just he's writing to his mom, and he's like, "Please pray for me." I, I just didn't know how how bad my heart was until I began to really try to live this thing out. And so he prays, and he prays, and he reads, and he studies, and 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 he's constantly trying to figure out how to get the sap of the Holy Spirit from Jesus' vine into his puny little branch, as he called it. And he said, I tried to exercise faith, and it, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. And then he got a letter from a friend of his who was going through the same thing. And in the letter, his friend Bill McCartney explained how he had seen Jesus as his source, as his life as the answer to all the questions that he and his friend Hudson Taylor had been asking. And Hudson Taylor says, as I read it, I saw it all. The Holy Spirit turned the light on and I saw my oneness with Christ. I saw that I was truly a branch in the vine. And he makes this statement about laboring to to enter his rest. He said, my work has never been more plentiful nor more difficult but the straining and striving are all gone. The weight is gone. Jesus does the work. I just show up and I am resting in him. Guys, that's the goal? I, I'm just going to stop there because I, I, don't, I don't know what else I can add to that. I had a bunch of points. Don't worry about it. Just, just know. Laboring to enter his rest is, first of all, deciding that you're not going to labor anymore. You're just going to hold on to the promises of God. You're going to hold on to Jesus. You're going to hold on to the Holy Spirit who promises to cause all things to work together for your good in order to conform you to the image of Christ, and he will get the job done. A.W. Tozer in in his book, The Pursuit of God, says, insist, he said, you can't change yourself. You can't make yourself like Jesus. But he can. And he says this, insist that the work be done and to the Lord in your prayers. Insist the work be done and it shall be done. He will make it clear. He will give you the revelation. There's a lot of process. But then there's the suddenly of the revelation of God. And you will come to understand that for which you have labored. And you will enter his rest. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at VineyardNorthridge.